0: As was mentioned, we'll be starting our study on some of the different New Testament characters. And I'll be starting with um, one of the apostles, that's Simon, who will be later on known as Peter. (coughs) I've always enjoyed uh, history when I was in school, learning where things come from, where people came from, and different decisions they made, and the origin of things, why things went certain ways. And so studying on characters is always something that... um, I enjoy doing. Um, I'm sure I enjoy. I enjoy studying it more than um, better than I'm able to present it, but I do enjoy it very much. And one of the things I enjoy about studying a character from Scripture is that we get to not only understand that character more, but I also believe it gives us a chance to understand more fully that these are these men and women are just that they are men and women. They're all just ordinary folks, just like you and me. Um, Like some, starting with one of the apostles, and the apostles are just regular, everyday guys. None of them were highly esteemed men. They weren't renowned (coughs) for any great learning or feats of greatness, spiritual or otherwise. They weren't great orators or theologians. Uh, They were prone to mistakes. Luke 24 and 25 shows that Jesus at times found them to be somewhat spiritually ignorant. we see them have bad attitudes. We see their faith at times falters. And in none, perhaps, is that more prevalent than in the Apostle Peter. In some regard, Peter, as the head Apostle, I don't know that you can specifically say the Scriptures point that out. Um, definitely the Catholic Church tends to believe that. Um, when listing the Apostles and the different Gospels, Peter is always mentioned first. Um, that could mean something. It could just be that Peter could be the oldest, or he could be one of the first apostles. He does seem to have that, um, be in the role of leading things and making decisions at times, but that could be his personality. He is in the, what you might call the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, who tend to be closer to Jesus. He does seem to be the most outspoken and bold of the apostles, according to scriptures. Um, it is believed that Peter was probably born around 1 B.C. and died somewhere around 64 to 67 uh, AD. He was a little background on on Peter. His name was Simon at birth. Um, there, were, I believe there's seven different um, characters in the New Testament that are named Simon. It seems to be a rather popular name. Two of the apostles were named Simon. <coughs> um, of course, he had the younger brother Andrew, who would also be an apostle. Um, and <coughs> and Peter, like all Jewish boys this time, did. Um, from what I've read, they would all go to school starting around the age of roughly five, I believe, and they would study the Hebrew Scriptures. A lot of their childhood and their learning was based around uh, the Scriptures and learning, but they didn't all have access to Bibles like we do now, so they were um, they were they had to memorize the different um, passages that they had. And they would do this all the way up through. They were teenagers, I believe. They would study, and if you were one of the, I guess, higher-performing, um, kids and you, you may be, as I understand it, may be hand-selected to study to make, possibly become a rabbi. A rabbi would not be a priest, which would be of the tribe of Levi, but a rabbi would be um, more of a spiritual teacher of the Jews. Um, but for most, that wasn't the case, and they would go on to perform normal jobs, and that would be the path of Simon. And the back story here tends to help me understand um, the character, and also some of it helps to understand the New Testament. And we come across different stories and um, different things. When you see Jesus quote Scripture anytime, mostly we see a lot to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but to anyone really, and they seem to recognize what he's saying. It's because they do. They studied it very much growing up. When he's quoting Scripture, they realize what he's saying. They all had a, at least a rudimentary knowledge of the Scriptures and somewhat of an understanding of it. And they would realize that he was quoting it to them. And those who refused to believe, you could see why they were so angry with him at times. Because he was, it'd be maybe how we would view other spiritual leaders uh, in the world today, twisting scripture to their own purpose. And if they refused to believe Jesus was who he said he was, then they, this may be what they were thinking. He was twisting scriptures <clears throat> to fit his own um, desires. Simon so would go on to become a fisherman by trade. And this is where we first see Jesus interact with Simon in John chapter one and thirty-five. we see that John the Baptist is staying with two of his disciples and when he sees Jesus John Baptist proclaims him as the Lamb of God and one of these two that were with him we're told was Andrew which is Simon's brother and Andrew goes and tells his brother Simon they have found the Messiah and he brings Simon to him when Jesus speaks to Simon he immediately says to him you are Simon the son of Jonah you shall be called Cephas or a stone, also translated Peter. it would be quite a first impression, I would think. The first time you see this man, he only tells you your name. He knows your father's name. He tells you what nickname you'll become known by in the future. <clears throat> this is where I like to look at one of the most noble traits uh, of Peter, for good or for bad. he was always ready for whatever he felt he needed to do. Sometimes we see him make poor decisions, but we do not see him typically refuse to act on anything generally. We see that Jesus has met Simon, and we see this trait as we go a little bit further. Um, he has met him, but we don't. We haven't seen him call Peter to be an apostle yet. And if you turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, we'll see an account of that. <clears throat> we'll see this character trait that we'll take notice of. Now Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, it reads, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put a little from the land. And he sat down and talked the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Their net was breaking. So he signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were the partners of, with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. <clears throat> I'm sure Simon had no problem taking uh, this Jesus out on his boat to teach. I'm sure he was tired, exhausted from the night's work, but he takes him out. But you can imagine his thoughts when Jesus tells him to go deeper into the water and to let down their nets. Because Simon is a fisherman by trade. he is a professional at this work. They've been out all night, which was the better time to fish. Simon would know when to go fish, and that was a better time because it was cooler. They also know where to fish at. From what I understand, from what they were doing, the best place to cast nets would be in the more shallow water. They had just spent an entire night fishing. They brought back nothing. No food to bring back to eat. No fish to take to the market to sell so they may buy the things that they needed. They worked all night and they gained nothing. And it's Jesus, after asking them after they worked all night to go out and sit in their boat, tells them, How about we go out into the deeper water and you can throw your nets out there and we can try to catch some fish? I imagine it would be somewhat irritating to someone of Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, people who do this for a living. We see Simon respects Jesus and does as he asks. And this was earlier on. They had seen a few miracles, but they hadn't witnessed everything they go on to witness at this point. But they catch so many fish, they fill their boat and their friends' boats, and they're beginning to sink from the weight. We don't know which boat they're in, James and John, but they bring other boats in. So there are several who will be the apostles there. But nothing is impossible with God. And this is one of the times where Simon would make one of his instinctive uh, decisions, and it was correct. When Simon Peter sees what's happened, what does he do? He doesn't jump up and down and high-five James and John and Andrew and celebrate the great catch of fish and how much money they can make. He realizes in that instant he knows that this is miraculous. He knew that this man is different, that this just happened. He's beginning to realize to some degree who this man is, to really understand who he is. And at that realization, we're told that Simon Peter falls to his knees and he declares, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon knew that only someone who was truly good and holy, and holy could perform a miracle such as this, and he knew that he was not worthy to be in his presence. Jesus tells them that they will catch men, not fish. And upon arriving at shore, we're told, Simon with the others forsook all and followed him. They were all in. Simon was not afraid to acknowledge Jesus for who he was. It didn't give a second thought to what that meant. He knew that he must follow him. From that point on, we see Simon Peter as an energetic follower of Christ. I assume we all were, when we first were baptized for the remission of sins, that we were on fire and zealous for the work of the church. But how is it with us now? Did we leave our former life behind? as it were, and follow Christ. Peter left everything, his boats, his nets, everything that he had to support his family, he left it, because that's, that's what it took for him to follow after Jesus. If we haven't let go of what ties us to the world and set our sights on him, in this case, at least, we need to be more like Peter. We should always be willing and be prepared to do everything we can to be the follower of Christ we are expected to be but not so blinded by our emotions and our ambition that we go too far or not far enough. And I think Peter is an amazing example of this as well. You'll recall in, in the garden, in John chapter 18, and verse 10, that they came for Jesus. He had told his disciples that this day would come, but they didn't really understand what Jesus had been teaching them. So Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. Peter wanted so badly to protect Jesus that he had not only carried a sword, But he was prepared and did use it. And Jesus straightaway tells him to put it away. Why? Because he must drink of the cup that his father had given him. He had a work to do, and Peter could not stand in the way of that. And Peter wanted to help more than anything, but he did not think through his actions beforehand and let his emotions lead him down a path that would seem correct. I mean, by all means, you would think protect the Messiah at all costs. But no, he had not properly understood Jesus' teachings and therefore had made a false presumption of how he should act. We would be wise to take this example and use it to keep ourselves aware or that we're not allowed to add or take away from Scripture Aware that just because our emotions or our instinctive reaction... To do a thing does not mean it is correct. Meaning, our society today and the religious community seem to have the idea that when we have a strong feeling to do something, that's the Holy Spirit moving you or calling you to some action. Peter was an apostle, one of the closest to Christ. And after years of learning, traveling with him, learning from him, still is giving his gut reactions in this moment, what his emotions are drawing him to do, he is still immediately rebuked by Jesus. Emotions are important. I believe it helps us to understand Christ's sacrifice um, more, but it is not to be the deciding factor in spiritual decisions purely based on our emotion of a feeling. In John 13 and verse 8 we see Jesus washing the apostles feet. When he came to Peter, he washed a few feet. He came to Peter and Peter questioned him and told him that he would never wash his feet. Now Jesus Right whenever Peter asked him what he was doing, Jesus told him he wouldn't understand what he was doing, but I'm, I'm washing your feet. You're not going to understand. This is what I'm doing. And then immediately, Peter, the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, tells him, you will never wash my feet. It will not happen. And Jesus says, if I do not wash your feet, you have no heart with me. I do not know that Peter. how much more Peter understood in that couple of seconds, that one sentence that we're told Jesus said to him. Apparently, he had just enough time to hear that, process a little bit more and then he exclaims once again Lord not my feet only but also my hands and my head if we ever find ourselves in the wrong and going maybe against scripture or believing that something isn't necessary as a Christian and we realize later on that it is and we're uh, living in error I hope that we are as ready as Peter is to immediately jump to to the correct conclusion to do that thing or to stop doing that thing <clears throat> that we are not above being at fault and we would be quick to repent and correct our path just as Peter was. <clears throat> and as we mentioned at the beginning, I enjoy reading about the apostles and it in some small way gives me encouragement that you know, they, they made mistakes, these hand-picked men of Jesus. We are called to be our best, but we also make mistakes. The apostles were not perfect men, only Jesus was perfect. We seem to see a lot of Peter's mistakes, but they were all regular men. They had their own struggles, and they were imperfect. In Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14, we see Peter being called out in front of others by the Apostle Paul. Um, and Peter wasn't a at this time. He would go and eat and associate with the Gentiles whenever he was with them. But then Jesus, or not Jesus, James came and brought some Jews with him, and Peter then would separate himself from the Gentiles. He was afraid of what the Jews but think of him. And we see perhaps you know a weakness um, or a struggle, something he struggled with. For all the compassion and boldness that Peter shows in Scripture, he is just a man that has his own things he struggles with. And Paul did what was necessary at this point and rebuked him. We see another situation. We see uh, another passage where Peter's loyalty is ca- called to question. He falls short again. In Luke chapter 22... Verse 54 through 62. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down to- together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man also was with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. The book of Mark also tells us that the third time that he denied that he was called out because his, not only was he a Galilean, but his speech betrayed him. Of see, Peter began to swear in order to try to more boldly affirm that he did not know Jesus. And I can't imagine this situation to have gone to so much trouble to make sure that no one knew you were with Jesus or you knew him. And immediately to hear the rooster crow, And realize what happened, and and you look up and see Jesus turn and look at you. I think that would be wise for us to to remember that in all of our moments of life, especially remember when the times when we are struggling with the temptation, realize that Jesus is, we are being watched. We are never truly alone. This, excuse me, this one with Peter, that was quite literally the case. Jesus was standing there watching him as he um, proved what he had told Peter what was going to happen. It doesn't excuse what Peter did, but you also will notice that Peter is the only apostle who did follow Jesus into that courtyard. Peter may have been fearful for his own well-being in that moment and wasn't prepared to handle the situation, and he did the wrong thing, but Peter was there. May never be said that we denied the Lord as Peter did, and we have opportunity, but it may never be said that we do not stand up for Jesus, but also never let it be said that when we were needed by a friend, especially in a spiritual matter, that we as the rest of the disciples ran and hid and did not follow after. <clears throat> Matthew 14 verses 21 through 33 it reads, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, there were troubled, saying, "It is a ghost!" And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "Be of good cheer! It is I. Be not afraid." And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got to the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. <clears throat> Once again, we see Peter's faith f- fail him, and sometimes I feel through this study, kind of felt sorry for Peter to have so many of your lapses in judgment and faith written and down and preserved for all of mankind to read forever by your fellow apostles, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Seems a little bit harsh at times. I do not believe that whenever he that he was tempting Jesus <coughs> or Christ, when you on the water, and you know he asked if it is you ask me to come to him. I don't know that was necessarily the case. If I if I had a, a garden, and I had tons of cucumbers, and I told mom and dad, I have I'm just covered up in cucumbers. And mom said, well, if you have cucumbers, then let me have some. It's not that she's questioning me and she's testing to see if I really have them. That's a turn of phrase, and she's saying, well, if you have them, I would like some. I believe that may be what was going on here. Peter sees it is is Jesus, and he says, if it's you, let me come to you. Peter, in the midst of this great storm, when the disciples are scared to death of this ghost, and remember, these are grown men in the midst of the storm who have this perceived ghost encounter, and some of these, along with Peter and Andrew, and you have James and John, the sons of thunder, these are, you know, at this, this day and age, these would be manly men, and they're scared to death of this ghost out on a boat. But Peter realizes it's Jesus, and he wants to go to him. And Jesus asks him to come to him, so he steps out and begins to walk to Jesus. And it's pretty amazing. But the storm around him causes him to doubt, he begins to sink. And of course, Jesus tells him that he has his faith is little, and he should not have doubted him, and pulls him up. Should Peter have doubted? No, he shouldn't have. That was weakness on his part. But... Peter would never have had the opportunity to either doubt or to prove his faith if he had not stepped out of the boat, as none of the other apostles did. I don't know that this is direct parallel, and I don't want to draw conclusions from a passage that aren't there, but I believe that we can take this idea and apply it to our lives today. The disciples were told to go into the world and to preach the gospel to all men. <clears throat> We've been given this to do, Mark 16 and 15. We're told that we are to be the light to all men. must step out of our boat, if you will, step out of our comfort zone to take on the storm of life ourselves. We must not falter, we must keep our faith, unlike Peter at this time, but if we do not step out of the boat, true, you know, we may have to be pushed ourselves to the point to where our faith is tested and we fail, but also we are not put in any positions and we improve our faith either. Or we may fulfill what's been given to us to be a light unto all men. There are many other stories of Peter that I enjoy we can study about them I encourage everyone to do so we don't have time to there's stories of Peter we know when they go to the tomb that he's the first he's well John's the first one to get there but John doesn't go in to the tomb Peter does or also they see uh, Jesus on the shore and they're fishing one day and see Peter jump out of the boat swim to him I don't know what it is about Peter and jumping out of boats but he seems to like doing that Well, there's another unique portion of the relationship relationship between Peter and Jesus that we'll notice as we start to wrap up the lesson. In Matthew 16, verse 13 through 18, it reads, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The question was asked to all the disciples there of who do, you, who do people say that I am? We're told that they answered. It wasn't a conversation between Jesus and Peter. The apostles were, different disciples were answering. Some believe John the Baptist, some one of the prophets, they're all answering. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You, the the people who've been following him, been learning from him, being taught directly by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And it could be because he's Peter and he's always quick to draw when it comes to voicing his opinion. But Peter is the one we see speak up here. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. And he calls him Peter. Now Jesus told him that he would be known as Peter. At first he called, he says, blessed are you, Simon, Bar and Jonah. But then he goes on to say that you are Peter. <laughs> Peter would, and that means, of course, a rock. And Peter would, would go on to be a rock, a pillar in the Lord's church. But Jesus goes on to say that on this rock, on what he had said, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that on that rock he would build the church. The Catholic church would like us to believe that Peter is the rock, and they've built a religion around this idea that Peter is the rock, and he is what the church is built on. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 11, we're told that there, tells us that there is no other foundation that can be laid other than what already has been laid, and it says that that is Jesus Christ. This declaration we see made later on again in Acts eight when Philip is teaching the Ethiopian eunuch and he's asked, "Here is water what hinders me from being baptized." And Peter, well, Philip tells him, "If he believes with all his heart, he can." And the eunuch declares, "I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God." Because of this, and then other passages we have, we can deduce that this is a de- that this declaration is one of the few steps ending in baptism that is required for the remission of sin. This declaration that Peter made. To Jesus. That statement is what is the, that the church is built on. It's what we as Christians believe, in members of the Lord's body, that is the church. And then Peter would go on to live up to his nickname given by Jesus. In John 21 15 through 19, we're told so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." He said to them. He said to him, "Feed my lambs." He said to him again a second time, "Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me?" And he said to him, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." He said to him, "Tend my sheep." He said to him the third time, "Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me?" Peter was grieved because he had. He said to him the third time, "Do you still love me?" And he said to him, "Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you." Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep." Most assuredly, I say to you, when you are younger, you gird yourself and walk where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Once again, Jesus tells Peter of what will come to pass in his life. Peter would go on to still be human. He would still make mistakes after this point. But he was a pillar in the church, so much so as we mentioned that some religions base quite a bit on on him. This outspoken, possibly arrogant at times, quick to action, slow to thought apostle would live a life dedicated to Christ. And Jesus even tells him how he would die. His beginning was any but exemplary. But the humble and obedient servant that he would become was what Jesus saw when he first chose him. And he would go on to be martyred. By the time Peter would be killed, it is believed that most of the apostles had already been martyred. That's the uh, popular uh, theory. Um, there are two prevailing theories of how Peter was killed. The more popular um, recognized one is that he was crucified on a cross upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in some way that Jesus was. I'm not sure how much say he would have in his own crucifixion, if he could make that request or not. Um, the other that seems to hold some weight is that he was burned alive. From the passage that we just read, we're told that he would be dressed and girded by someone else and taken where he doesn't want to go. Um, and also at this time, when there was crucifixion, people were crucified stark naked. That's how it was done. And typically, Christ is depicted as a top, has a top of one cloth or something on, in pictures and things. I believe this is probably mostly out of piety. That's not how they did things back then. And we're told that Peter would be clothed, and taking where he didn't want to go. At this time, living in Rome, as um, Peter was, Nero was going on a killing spree of Christians around 64 AD. And one of the ways in which they would do this, they would dress Christians in robes, soaked in a flammable liquid of some kind, affix them to a mock cross, um, by the river Tiber, and they would be lit on fire. We do not know for sure how Peter died. We, <clears throat> um, these are some of the more likely ways, but it's not known. But we do know that this cocky fisherman, full of flaws, was chosen by Jesus, not because it was obvious to himself or anyone else, not because he was already a great hallmark of faith, but because Jesus saw that he could, what he w- would become, and he would serve the purpose that Jesus needed him to. It is the same with us today. Will we, in all of our sin and unworthiness, declare Jesus as the Son of God and be baptized, the mission of sins, and live a life devoted to Jesus, even even if it comes down to paying the ultimate sacrifice for our faith? That is the end of my remarks this afternoon on on Peter. I hope it was edifying in some way and beneficial. We never want to close the offering the gospel invitation. Once again, if you haven't made that declaration of faith and been baptized for remission of sins, we urge you to do so. Or if you have and you would like to prepare to the church on your behalf, we'd be happy to assist you in that as well if you would come while we stand and while we sing.